0: Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. What's up, everyone? Got another great episode for you today. So this is with Paul Lang. He is a TradFi guy, uh, now a full-time crypto guy though, but he is a former UBS portfolio manager. And then he actually got his professional start in crypto at Celsius. So that was an interesting part of our conversation. And then currently he is at Kelp Financial, which is a crypto hedge fund. So really liked this conversation. Stoked to have Paul on. So hope you all enjoy it. Thanks. And we are live. Hello, Paul. <laughs> hey, Ben. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining me today, man. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting day to be recording a podcast after our most recent CPI print.
1: <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> um, a bit of a, a bit of an upside surprise. Um, impressed to see shelters uh, a bit stickier and in, in keeping. Uh, the inflation uh, a bit higher than, uh, I think, definitely what I had expected and and perhaps what the markets had expected as well. Um, I saw a sell-off early this morning, but it seems to have bounced back today.
0: Yeah, I was trying to read what that bounce back was because I was looking at it too. I'm just pulling up uh, where we are right now. Um, I, I thought I'd seen something about some, something positive about the ECB and kind of projecting whether terminal rates are going to end up and it's not what the market expects, but the market's been kind of crazy in their expectations, I think, the last six months. So, well,
1: it's definitely shifted. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, very much leading the Fed and, you know, Powell's done a terrific job of, uh, you know, convincing um, investors that the Federal Reserve is taking inflation seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, in part that, that was my impression as to why markets sold off earlier this morning. Um, I haven't seen the announcement, uh, from the ECB though.
0: Yeah. That, it was something that popped off, I think from zero hedge, which is uh shout out to zero hedge. One of my favorite follows every day. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we di- digress here. So let me, uh, kind of bring it back to the point of, um, today, but, uh, so everyone listening real fast, um, I have on Paul Lang. He is with a crypto asset manager called Kelp Financial. So, Paul, maybe I'll just kick it over to you. Maybe just give us a little bit of your background, what Kelp's about, and we can go from there.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So, background is really kind of um, raised, if you will, through the traditional asset management uh, system. Uh, Started my career at Prudential uh, within a niche asset class called Stable Value. Um, yeah. yeah. Most of your listeners are probably not familiar with stable value, but it's a uh, you can think of it as a, a fixed income portfolio with a derivative overlay mm-hmm. uh, to to help stabilize the NAV. And that that was a a, a really good and fun learning experience. Um, transitioned over to UBS, where I spent uh, a lot of time within the investment solutions group. Um, you know, did a number of things on the portfolio management side, from uh, corporate pension uh, liability hedging. To uh, running some of our uh, benchmark relative and uh, in, in growth portfolios, so taking more active risk, if you will, and uh, had a lot of you know UBS is a is a large bank and and had a lot of support there to to grow uh, and and learned a ton from um, uh, from some of the other more senior PMs there, so that that was terrific. And uh, after that, uh, one of actually. Um, a colleague from UBS had moved over to Celsius, uh, was leading the investment, uh, team at Celsius. And so jumped over there for a bit and, uh, again, have, you know, had really good experiences with, um, with those at Celsius continued to that. That was sort of my, uh, entrance, if you will, into crypto from a professional perspective. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, was, uh, was a very interesting time to be there, but. We'll, and, well probably. No, get into nonetheless, that bit. <laughs> Yeah, nonetheless, yeah. like uh uh was was fantastic to um to continue to to learn and grow within both asset management and crypto. Sure. Um, and then you know jumping to where I'm at today. So so joined a group of guys at Kelp Financial, uh really looking to build an institutional quality uh crypto asset manager. Um you know, so what we mean by that is you know taking a lot of the experiences that I've had, um, a lot of the you know, experiences that other guys on the team have had as it relates to processes and, and thinking about how to um, you know, uh, invest within a risk uh, risky asset class and uh, at the same time providing education to the end investor because I think uh, most are not familiar with uh, everything that is going on within crypto, and and really the the differentiation across the space, and um, we're very excited. Uh, you know, we're all investors ourselves, yeah, and so want to bring that opportunity, um, you know, to to financial advisors and and ultimately to uh, to their clients. Uh, another piece of the business is a, a pair of hedge funds that we're going to be launching on chain hedge funds. Uh, and, and this allows us to basically do some yield farming, uh, in addition to price appreciation of, of, uh, of crypto. So,
0: okay. Okay. So how, um, I mean, how, like how long has Kelp been around? Like where, uh, where are you guys sort of playing the most these days? Is it like accredited investors or do you have non-accredited solutions? Like what, what's Kelp's kind of general profile look like?
1: yeah so uh just launched uh earlier this year um so far, I would say the the a u m is pretty heavy on the non accredited investors, so more on the um separately managed account uh, okay cool. space if you will yeah um as I mentioned, we are growing our uh accredited investor offering sure. through these on chain yeah. uh yield funds um you know that's something that that we get very excited about. Uh, in part because I I think if if you are going to be an investor within DeFi you know within crypto understanding the tokenomics you know understanding how um, what is the value accrual uh, of each one of these investments is most obvious and relevant on chain yeah. and and so that very much even if you were just to be holding the underlying coins and tokens within a separately managed account. Yeah. you know, having that perspective is extremely valuable.
0: Okay. So you kind of touch on something interesting there where you could take a lot of ways is like generally what advisors should focus in on. So if I'm an advisor, what am I looking for when I'm evaluating sort of a third-party asset manager? And you said one thing is the tokenomics of it. Are there other things that you think advisors should, you know, have in their head when they're evaluating a third-party manager?
1: Yeah, I think if it's if it's a third party manager and not directly to crypto. So I would say tokenomics is going to be very important if you are uh, an investor who's looking to invest directly into the space. Right. So, yeah. you know, not necessarily get that outside support. Um, uh, if you're evaluating a manager, um, you know, a sub advisor or, uh, you know, just just a manager on your platform for an allocation. I think it in some ways it follows something, uh, some very similar uh, considerations for a traditional manager, which is, you know, you obviously want to understand their process, yeah. um, both around risk and around stra- investment strategy. Um, you know, whatever the manager is highlighting, how they're going to be investing their assets is is going to be, you know, important to uh, uphold them to that. Yeah. Um, you know, to the extent that they're doing this passive, you know, the, there's this term that gets floated uh, around a lot in crypto as, as passive. And I think that generally means market cap weighted, um, you know, to the extent they're doing that, you know, again, you could you could offload this um, responsibility to a, a commingled vehicle, which yeah. is, you know, a a manager. Um, which is just choosing to to buy the assets relative to market cap weights. Yeah. Um, so in any case, understanding that process is is very important on the risk side. You know, understanding you know what are the cust how are they custodying the assets is is going to uh-huh. be very important. Yeah. To the extent they're, um, you know, perhaps less relevant for the separately managed accounts, but to the extent they're investing on chain, you know, there's obviously significant smart contract risk there. Um, so you know, need to understand from their perspective how are they managing that. Um, you know, I, I think those are some, some, uh, uh additional considerations for, um, for crypto managers, perhaps an, a third one is, is, um, really counterparty risk. I think, okay. you know, when you, when you think about counterparty risk within the traditional, um, finance sense, usually there's, um, an P rating or a Moody's rating or something like that, that gives you some indication as yeah. to the quality. Um, you, you don't have that within crypto. And so you have yeah. to do a, a lot of digging and, and research in your, uh, by yourself. Um, and, and all of this really drives for us, um, you know, just kind of generalizing what you said about how do you evaluate a manager? For us, we recognize these points and look to establish risk scores for each one of these metrics. So when we're looking at yeah. protocols... That we're going to be investing in on chain, you know, we're, we're thinking about that risk, uh, that smart contract risk. We're thinking about that counterparty risk as it relates to, um, uh, say a, a derivative asset, um, Mm -hmm. and who's the redemption counterparty. Um, so, you know, maybe a bit down the weeds on, on, uh, details related to, to on chain, but, uh, in any case, you know, something that we recognize is is very important to establish a, a discretionary and active process um, uh, when we're investing.
0: Okay. So part, part of my background way back when was I was on a graystone team at Morgan Stanley. Um, that was my last job in the industry before moving over to the tech side. But I was responsible for trying to evaluate, you know, third-party managers. And you look at all these things process, team, tenure, um, risk, all, all those things. And like what you just said, I, I definitely resonate with, but I think where it can potentially get challenging is just like the devil's in the details, right? Like, so I guess maybe my question is of the advisors that you work with and partner with, how much are you guys getting them kind of caught up to speed and educating in the process of the allocation or like how? much do these advisors kind of know when they come to you? Like where, like what does that breakout look like?
1: It's a great question. I and I it it varies a bit, but I would say for the most part, you know, I, I mentioned education earlier is, is a big part of what we're doing. And it's almost uh, a necessity at this point, um yeah. you know, if you will, in in the cycle of of an emerging asset class. Um we very much feel like a lot of times we'll have investors coming to us or financial advisors coming to us and, you know, need to understand, better understand the risks of what we're doing and sort of telling them how we're dealing with the rest. Again, as kind of, we just went through. So Mm -hmm. whether it's custody, you know, these are our custody solutions. And this is why we think, you know, it's, it's a secure custody solution. Um, We, you know, a, a lot of times, almost exactly to this point we are writing you know I I think when you're when you're looking at a uh, a fund uh say an equity fund you know whether that's a hedge fund with an equity strategy or, or whatnot a lot of the terms and references are going to be familiar to you as a traditional investor and so you can sort of read through that very quickly and, and get a grasp of what's going on a lot of times for us we recognize that's not the case when we say smart contract risk even that that may not be uh, well understood as to what that means mm-hmm. when we talk about a protocol versus a blockchain, that may not be well understood. And, and so I'll, when, when we're speaking to prospective investors, we will give them a, uh, a term sheet almost so that yeah. they can look through a few pages of uh,
0: definitions just to familiar.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like lingo, just so they can familiarize themselves with, with this space a bit better.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, so like maybe, uh, let's get into some, like a couple of examples here. So like you guys offer a couple of things, like maybe walk me through, like, how, how do you, how do you get from like A to B, right? How do you sort of define an invest investable universe? Like, how do you find the themes that you like? How do you evaluate whether that's technicals or valuation or whatever? Like walk me through like an example of kind of something you guys like.
1: Sure. So. Uh, I think in terms of the the investable universe, like it, it, it would start pretty broad. You know, we're not going to be, um, you know, there, there's. If you think about filtering, say a total universe of crypto assets, you know, things that we're going to be looking at just to, as initial filter are, are like market cap and, and TVL, uh, total value locked. For for those that aren't familiar, okay. Um, and and this is going to be a great way just to at least a, at a first cut to to look at okay, what are your, so your small cap, mid cap, you know, large cap coins. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we find ourselves playing in, in more, I would say the, the mid to large cap space, okay. um, yeah. because we, we are somewhat differentiated, I would say from like a venture or, or um, you know, even, uh, Ico, uh, initial coin offering type of, yeah. uh, strategy. Yeah. Um, so when we're looking at a, uh, a protocol, let's just say, um, and there's some underlying token. Let's say it's a, a decentralized exchange, um, and and so we're looking at the the token that represents that decentralized exchange. We're going to want to see some track record of mm. investment performance yeah. um, before we can. You know, we're we're going to want to see how how is this done, both from just market pricing perspective, but also from, um, uh, you know, how has the smart contracts that underline, um, you know, this this protocol, how have they performed? Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is we're going to want to understand, you know, I mentioned tokenomics and uh, a couple of times. What does that mean? It really means if we hold the token, what is the value of holding that token? Yeah. And for some decentralized exchanges, you know, the the there's value in that any uh, trading that occurs in these pools. So these decentralized exchanges will have various pools um, where you can take one asset and trade it for another asset. Yeah. And anytime that happens, the protocol is collecting a fee from that. Um, and that fee can be distributed to token holders. Yeah. And, and so from that perspective, you know, as an example, that that's something that, you know, we would be interested in. So, you know, why does the token have value? Um, you know, I, I think that there's uh in, in some cases, one of the things that we'll be concerned about is say a derivative risk or, or bridging, um, you know, to the extent that we have to take this asset and say wrap it or this asset itself represents, um, uh, some, there's something underneath that that represents this asset from a, you know, a derivative perspective. Yeah. That is something that we want to understand really from a, you know, as it relates to risk. Um, so it, you know, those are maybe a few dimensions by which we're looking at the yeah. investment. You know, you talked about themes earlier. I think what we do care a lot about. You know, the the uh, number of assets within crypto is you know tens of thousands of which probably <laughs> like to, you know five thousand trade pretty actively. Yeah. Um, if if we then think about that universe, you know, there's kind of differentiation as it relates to say payment uh blockchains and smart contract blockchains so you know best examples here are what i would call you know bitcoin network is a is a payment focused blockchain which is versus ethereum which is a smart contract focused blockchain yeah um and then and then with smart contract focused blockchains obviously there there can be uh additional development on that blockchain such as um some of these protocols that we were talking about and they can be classified as finance um, yeah. So you know, almost getting a little bit to like GIC sectors, um, yeah. You know, real estate, healthcare. Yeah, yeah. Some whatever. of the classifications that you'd be familiar with within equities.
0: Yeah,
1: you have that. Um, you know, we're we're trying to basically impose that onto crypto to understand how is how is that sector performing relative to other sectors. Yeah. Um. So that's a bit as it relates to understanding thematic yeah. um, movements, if you will. Um, value, you know, if you take it kind of a step further and think about factors within um, crypto, like obviously Fama French, which is, you know, something that's been very well popularized within traditional markets. Um, You know, there's nothing like that today that really exists within crypto. I think value in itself, like there are tokens that you can look at, what is the price of this token or the market cap of this token relative to the fees that you accrue as a token holder by, by just holding it? Okay. And so you're getting some you're you're starting to understand some pieces of more typical valuation um within the market, but I would say for the most part those factors haven't played a role and are are, are still difficult to assess within within Yeah.
0: Sense. So maybe walk that through a little bit cuz like um you know, each asset is kind of valued differently, right? But I think maybe a simple way to evaluate it is are people using it and are they just generally getting value out of it? But are there ways that you guys kind of look at the digital asset space and evaluate things differently to assign a value? Or is it kind of like you were mentioning, just still early innings and, you know, word, ever the industry is trying to figure out what Valuation really looks like
1: well i th- no so we we are absolutely trying to look at um you know to the extent that you are speculating on an asset, you know are you rec- what it why does this a- asset have value yeah um and, you know i i think uh when you you were mentioning activity is is one piece of it. there there's no doubt that the more activity that happens on the ethereum um blockchain or that happens with any decentralized exchange means that the more fees that accrue yeah. via the underlying token. Yeah. Um, and, and so holding that token is is valuable to the extent that these networks naturally expand. Um, I think for for some of this, you can, you know, it, you've heard of different uh network laws that people will use in in assessing. I, I think it's most applicable to blockchains. So we'll so we'll look at that. Um, there's, there's other ways of looking at, um, again, kind of with mostly within the peers space. So if we're specifically looking within finance and decentralized exchanges, you know, how is a token? What is the, the market cap of a token relative to the fees that you accrue? So again, more traditional metrics for valuation. I think in, in some cases, like Uniswap is the best example where, you know, you can hold Uniswap today and, and you don't really accrue any fees via exchange. Um, uh, you know, the, the pools on the, uh, on the decentralized exchange. That being said, Uniswap is b- by far, you know, the largest decentralized exchange. There's a ton of activity that happens there. And there's a proposal in, you know, if you look through the governance forms, there's a proposal to start to embed fees. Um, and and have, sorry, not only embed, the fees are there, but the fees don't go to the token holders to yeah. actually have the fees go to the token holders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to the extent that that is passed, then it becomes, you know, very valuable in, in holding the token. So there's um, sort of direct relationships, you know, maybe it doesn't exist today, but because it's a decentralized organization, you can vote to have this protocol change the way it um, assesses fees for token holders. And so that could be powerful. There, there's other examples where, um, you know, you have a claim on a balance sheet, you know, really through a governance token and the, um, the, the decentralized, uh, organization that controls governance has the ability to perhaps go in and buy these tokens back. So think of it as burning tokens. Mm-hmm. And so You know, this is really now you're, you're holding a token. Maybe you're not receiving that fee or that, um, uh, income, if you will, but instead the supply is being reduced. Yeah. Um, And it's being reduced because of the activity on the protocol. It's being reduced because of, um, you know, how the, how the protocol is, is, um, managing some of the risks and, and is able to sort of take some of that excess, um, uh, Uh, capital and purchase back some of those coins so a lot of times there's there is very much a direct relationship between um holding the token and and the fees or or the burning of the token um it 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 varies by opportunity
0: yeah 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 um so i mean it sounds like you guys are pretty involved in like it would appear just like the yield farming staking sort of aspect of DeFi, right? Like that's
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so, um, this is very much, I, I mentioned it earlier. Like, if you're going to be investing in this space, I think you have to understand the yield farming opportunities. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's some tokens, coins that, uh, are, very inflationary, and in part mm-hmm. they be, they could be using that inflation to pay rewards. Yeah. Um. So you know, at least if you're on chain, you're receiving. You know, it, depending on how you're using that token, you're receiving the inflationary rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not on chain and, and you're just holding the asset, then you're not even getting that. But in any case, the the token could have, you know, a um a stronger pressure for depreciation because of that um, inflation dynamic. I think one of the best thing, you know, this actually leads to kind of an interesting point um, when we think about on-chain yield farming, which is if you looked at an individual blockchain, mm-hmm. you know, sort of let's just take uh, Ethereum as, yeah. as a good example. What is, you know, what should you earn by holding ETH? Yeah. Um, and again, if you're just holding ETH in your account, um, I would say you are missing out on proof of stake rewards that those that are holding ETH on chain and staking their ETH are earning. And so for us, we think about that staking reward as sort of a risk-free, and I know your (laughs) listeners aren't able to see me using (laughs) the air quotes, but a (laughs) risk-free rate within that blockchain.
0: Um. Um, yeah and that's it, I, I love that term risk free on ethereum that's <laughs> I think a yeah. lot of people would have trouble but, with that. <laughs> but the point is like
1: you can't uh, you know if if you're invested on ethereum from a yield farming perspective and you can't beat the staking yield that you can just receive by holding ethereum and staking ethereum, then I would argue in, you know from from some perspective you shouldn't be on chain yield farming.
0: So that's gotcha. that's sort of that's yeah. what I mean by right. risk. That
1: is your minimum threshold yeah. by which that's... you should be looking at other yield farming opportunities on the Ethereum blockchain.
0: That's an interesting way to think about it. Um I kinda And then you I mean, then you have to kind of get into the rest of these blockchains too, right? So you can evaluate Ethereum maybe as like a, a like a blue chip blockchain, right? and you're comfortable staking, you're you're comfortable staking there because you've got a ton of projects like it's been around you know almost as long as bitcoin itself like it's got a history um right. but then you'd i i assume the logic would change if you're evaluating a newer ethereum type blockchain and then they're asking you to stake to that blockchain right like
1: absolutely so so you know pick um you know uh Pick a, a newer blockchain, such right. as you know Avalanche or Phantom or mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Solana, yeah. you know, to the extent that you are staking to these blockchains, um, you know, I, I I think the the risk reward is going to look very different in part yeah. because their consensus mechanism, you know, how they come to validate the blockchain is going to be different. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, you know, there's this there's this going to be some concern about you know the age of it, if you will. So is it um, time tested? Um, and and that's really why the when you think about that opportunity, it's it's relative to that blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I, I wouldn't want to say, you know, you're um, looking at yield farming on again any one of these other blockchains versus Ethereum is is identical. I do think you yeah. have to to consider yeah. what it looks like, um, you know, for, for each one
0: yeah yeah I, I mean a gross example would maybe be buying like AAA a rated credit right or something like that triple a rated bonds versus buying a, a junk bond right like some businesses are just more established they do things better so their debt is safer <laughs>
1: right yeah. exactly yeah and and i think that in, instead of debt here what you would look at is something we said earlier which is total value lock so if you looked at ethereum and all of the activity that exists on ethereum, whether it's from you know stablecoin assets specifically u s d stablecoin assets mm-hmm. or protocols that are used you know that and and you consider that as you know uh uh total value locked meaning how much act, it kind of as a as a reference to how much activity is on the blockchain, ethereum dominates you know by far all yeah. the other blockchains today. I yeah. think if you looked at um uh, you know, a, another side of this is th- that's more the demand side, uh, you know, something else that when we think about the opportunity here, we're also looking at developer activity, right? Which is more the yeah. supply side, right? So, so to the extent that this blockchain has, you know, perhaps a foundation behind it, um, and for, you know, they're, they're really pushing, uh, a lot of development. Yeah. Um, who's,
0: to, who's committing code on GitHub type things, exactly. stuff, stuff you can track. Yeah,
1: exactly. Stuff you can track. Yeah. Um, and 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 again that that's another piece of it, which I think is really important is you know are the developers creating you know are are there new um protocols coming to the blockchain um and you know developers are getting excited about it and, and basically creating more stuff i I think the best example I can give for listeners when when I think about ethereum and smart contract blockchains is very similar to your smartphone and the application really the software developer kit. And the applications that are built there. So if you think about the software developer kit, right, it gives you kind of a infrastructure to then build an application which sits in this ecosystem, and you know you can use, uh, you know, within your iPhone or within your uh, Google Phone, whatever it is. Yeah. I yeah. think I think that the blockchain is a very similar way, which is you know it's the software, to, it's it's this infrastructure, it's this code that allows you to develop an application, and you know what's really cool about these applications is. You know they're they're global um you know there's uh you know they're they're uh as as kind of this world computer it's it's it, it not only is global but it's it's constantly on so I can communicate at all times um and anyways it, it, that
0: yeah uh, yeah you're you're bringing up an analogy that um I don't I maybe you listened to the one with Lex Sokol the other day uh that I just published um but uh he made the analogy to uh ios right So, like these blockchains yeah. kind of operate as ios like they provide you know the infrastructure the marketplace you know the reach for people for consumers ultimately to come and look for things to consume right exactly yeah um yeah. which i think i mean I, I that analogy really resonated that was an easy way to kind of break it down i thought so
1: yeah, yeah. no i think I, I very much agree in terms of the ios and and uh again like having that infrastructure for uh application development
0: yeah yeah um, um let's maybe pivot out of the details here a little bit like, yeah i
1: know we've, we've gone down the rabbit hole which yeah well, is e- well, it's easy to do and fun to do within crypto but
0: yeah yeah well tell me a little bit i guess about like your crypto native story like how did you find it how'd, how did you get inspired to uh I mean you you kind of alluded to it. You followed uh someone you respect from UBS, but um maybe just take us through your crypto origin story a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean I I got into crypto slowly. You know, I I was not um you know, sort of pounding the table and telling everyone to buy Bitcoin in 2012 and 2013. Yeah. Um you know, I I was very much aware of of you know, Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network early on and and really saw the value um you know, as it related to a, a payment infrastructure, you know, that, that part was clear, you know, wasn't, I think, clear at that time, sort of what else you did with the network. And I probably wasn't as, uh, creative as, as clearly some others have been in terms yeah. of what can you do with this technology? Um, you know, when, when smart contracts came out on Ethereum, you know, that's when you started to see a lot more again of this development. Um, and you know, there, there were certain protocols that I was following early on and it was just really interested in, in, you know, this idea of programmable money and, and, and having that, um, interact in, in very structured ways, according to the code, I thought was, uh, you know, this idea of automated finance, I thought was very interesting Yeah, yeah. being in financial services. And so was, was following that. And, uh, there was, uh, at one point I, I remember sort of uh being up late at night, I think it was after a baby feeding and um i was I was reading about uh uh ave flash loans and I just remember like very much thinking at that point in time how cool it was that you know this concept of a flash loan was, and you know I was very specific to the infrastructure of course and and not necessarily you could do that anywhere else in traditional finance. Yeah. Um and anyway, so you know that just started. It, it was one of those things where I was I was reading about it on the side. was was very interested in what was going on, you know. Had invested a bit, but again was not was not early. Yeah. Um, and really joined up with again a colleague from UBS who had joined Celsius, and uh, that that was really my if you will my departure from traditional finance in, into crypto.
0: Yeah. Might even say trial by fire.
1: <laughs> uh, very much trial by fire.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. For I mean, let's dig in, in into that a little bit for what you can talk about. Obviously, but for the listeners out there, Paul was at Celsius um, earlier this summer when cracks started to show. So maybe kind of walk through a little bit of again what you can, what your experience was there, and maybe lessons to kind of take from that, like particularly as an end investor or an advisor, you know, thinking about these things.
1: Yeah, so what I can say is a lot of um, what, uh, a lot of the team that was at Celsius recognized there was a lack of infrastructure as it related to say typical investment activities. And we're working very diligently and quickly to kind of build that infrastructure. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that was something that that is perhaps uh, most obvious. and so and, and it really relates to um, sort of everything that I've spoken to earlier in terms of our risk assessment at Kelp. So you know when when we're looking at um, these opportunities from an investment perspective, mm-hmm. whether it's liquidity, whether it's leverage, you know, we are, you know, thinking about not only the investment today, but, you know, what what things can go wrong and making sure that, you know, uh, to the extent that we're talking about a derivative asset, um, you know, we, there's exit liquidity on that derivative asset. So a, a lot of the principles, if you will, that I have already sort of learned from traditional finance and, you know, being a portfolio manager for pensions and for yeah. individual, uh, clients of, of UBS wealth management, you know, that a lot of that rigor and, um, discipline is something that bringing to kelp and wasn't necessarily at, you know, uh, at Celsius. It was, it was being developed. It was, it was, we were working on it, um, you know, up and up until the, obviously the, the early yeah. summer. Yeah. Um, so
0: so what I'm hearing from you there is that it almost kind of was like a lack of critical infrastructure and checks and balances and kind of like understanding what total risk may have looked like type thing. Right. Is, am I kind of hearing that correctly? Like yeah, once, I mean, once, look, once I, I think
1: like, that the, this isn't um, uh, I, I don't think this is saying anything new that, you know, ultimately there was significant mismatch in liquidity risk. Yeah. between the assets and the liabilities that that yeah. Celsius was managing. Yeah. Um I think, you know, in part uh that's something that you you don't need a a huge set of infrastructure to recognize. Yeah. Um and and there's, you know, uh investment decisions that need to be made to to understand again if you have a retail focused platform with daily liquidity, you know, making sure that you you have that um liquidity matched up on the asset side as well yeah um, you know i i think so much of um you know the the vision for a lot of stuff at Celsius was not only related to you know say more traditional yield but was also very much related to their their mining operation mm-hmm. um, and and clearly that's that's uh an investment that is going to take years to pay off in terms of putting dollars in the ground today into, into mining rigs today, Mm -hmm. um, to get, you know, call it yield or Bitcoin back, uh, into the future. Um, so anyways, I, I, I would say from, from what we could, um, you know, meaning that specifically thinking about members of the investment team, you know, which were fantastic. Like, I think it's, it's one of those things where you, I left Celsius, um, very much, um, Having enjoyed working with a lot of people within risk, within the investment team, thinking very highly of them. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's certain decisions that um you know sort of set the course, if you will, for um some of this illiquidity risk. And again, we needed better infrastructure. We recognize that um and, and we're solving for that. But at the same time, you know, it was uh you didn't need better infrastructure to to say, look at some of the more obvious liquidity risk and how to manage that.
0: Yeah. So, what like one one thing I kind of think of like when I think of uh, like Celsius, Nexo, those types of platforms, um, particularly as a retail investor, because that's that was kind of the unfortunate thing, right? Is retail people got trapped, not kind of knowing exactly what was going on in the background, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what would your i mean outside of i I hate the platitude of like you know do your research right but then you do your research and even someone like me with a little bit of a background like couldn't really figure out exactly what was happening right so what like how 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 should people evaluate the space or opportunities um you know with i guess this I guess having to face a certain amount of ambiguity. Like, what do you think needs to happen so that things like this don't happen in the future?
1: I mean, I I think uh, you know understanding. Um, so I, I guess I would say a few things. One is the the underlying counterparty with which you are giving your assets to or depositing your assets. Understanding sort of the custody around that, mm-hmm. right? So so if you go to a an exchange and, and you're providing your coins to that exchange, a centralized exchange, right? You, you know, how are you maintaining custody over those coins or yeah. do, are, are they custody of the exchange?
0: What, what control do you actually have?
1: What control do you have? Right. And, and that'll be outlined, you know, it, uh, very much should be outlined in, in sort of some type of legal term stock mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what, what is happening with your, with your um, deposit uh, into that exchange. So if you, if sure. you think about, Celsius from that perspective, I would say it's very similar in terms of um you know making sure that uh understanding what they are doing with your underlying coin, what custody they have. And, yep. and for Celsius, you were you were really giving up control of your coins to um to Celsius uh to be used a discretionary
0: you know, asset manager. As a discretionary, point, right? Exactly.
1: As yeah. a discretionary asset manager. And yeah. I think this is something that, that was not maybe well understood by by all invest by all retail investors. Yeah. Um and you know from that perspective you can also maybe think about so we talked a little about understanding what is happening from a custody perspective. I think security is another very important aspect as it relates to custody. Yeah. Um so you know how you know how are they making sure that your if if they are if they do have your funds how are they making sure that those funds are safe?
0: Hot or cold storage simply, right? Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Hotter, hotter, cold storage is is something that that is obviously a, uh, a a division line at which really keeps assets safe. I think even within hot, you know, there's there's things that you can do as it relates to um, multiple signatures. Um, yeah, oh yeah, multi-party computation. But multiple signatures as it relates to um, those assets, you know, there's there's ways to control how quickly the assets move, um, and in any case, th- there's controls that you can put around the custody asset of it, even if it's in hot storage. Yeah. Um, so, right. So, so understanding the custody, understanding the the security around that custody. Um, and, and then again, I, I think uh, very much to how you would assess a traditional asset manager. And we were talking about this earlier, understanding the strategy, right? Like how is, yeah. what is Celsius doing with those coins in this specific instance? Yeah. Um, you know, I, the, Ultimately, they were trying to pay back the highest yield to investors and back that up with opportunities, yeah. whether it be through centralized lending or um, specifically on-chain yield farming. Yeah, um, you know there is there is other strategies in, involved as well, but but just to list some examples. So understanding how are they deploying the assets, and I think I think from that you know you you called them an asset manager earlier. I think there's a lot of parallels to that, and. Um, and, and in part why I was very excited about the work at Celsius because I, I, sure. could and I could see I could see you know how this translated to more traditional fund management yeah and I and one of the things that we actually talked a lot about was bringing risk preferencing to individual users of um, of Celsius so yeah. to the extent that you're like yeah I actually I don't want the max yield that you can pay out on. Ethereum, I only want you to stake my Ethereum, or yeah. I only want you to do Ethereum and staking and centralized lending. I don't want you to go on chain with my Ethereum. Stuff like yeah. that.
0: Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. It's, and, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, one of the companies I used to work for, a company called Riskalyze, I'm not sure if you've heard of them or not. I have, yeah. Um, we, you bring the concept of the risk number to you know get, uh, investments across the board because you're investing public. Doesn't generally understand counterparty risk, standard deviation, drawdown, you know, liquidity, all those things that we might throw jargon around. It's tough to kind of comprehend. So the idea, I think that's the great idea for the industry is to have these very clearly understood risk buckets for what you're getting into would be yep. think, super helpful.
1: Yeah, I think it made a ton of sense. You know, for for kelp, you know, hopefully we'll we'll build out the the, the suite of investment products. You know, today it's 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 not that level of differentiation in terms of an offering. What we are very much doing, though, is we have our proprietary risk scores similar mm-hmm. to risk you know, where, you know, we are assessing not only kind of market risk as it relates to volatility, as it relates to drawdown, as it relates to volume, you know, sort of how much uh, of that coin is traded on exchange, on a centralized exchange, off exchange, but also looking at things like smart contract risk and putting a number behind that so that yeah. we can assess within this universe or perhaps within a tighter peer universe, how does this investment opportunity compare to others within the space? And, and then what is the yield that we get? And so from this perspective, you can really start to think about yield. you know, We talk about risk-adjusted returns all the time within traditional finance. Mm-hmm. You know, that That doesn't really exist in a um and in a broad sense within crypto you sort of have to do the work to assess what is your yield adjusted or you know risk adjusted yield um
0: yeah, yeah there's <laughs> there there's a lot to kind of go on there um yeah. at the end i mean we're still very like we're still very early innings i kind of think like um i think this year's kind of wash out of euphoria Old, I've said this before and I, everyone seems to agree, but it'll probably be a good thing because everyone I talk to and admittedly, I probably have like rose tinted glasses because everyone's pretty bullish on the space. But um, it, it generally kind of feels like you're getting more adults in the room type thing and that we're actually getting to a place where there's real solutions across the board for things like you know, like institutional custody, like that didn't really exist a couple of years ago. You know, yeah. now now we have companies doing that. Um, so that in itself seems like the industry seems to be growing up a little bit, but still, admittedly, very early.
1: <laughs> I think I think very early. I think, um, you know, at, when, when we think about the investment opportunity, uh, you know, we very much liken it to uh, growth equity or venture equity. Um, so you know th- this is a you know a, a very early risky asset uh asset um you know as it relates to um sort of adoption clearly I, I think in some ways uh adoption oh you you continue to see stories Bank of New york Mellon is perhaps the most um yeah, that was huge, huge news yeah um, but you continue to see stories of adoption even through you know say the this drawdown um back to your original point i very much think that you know, what's happened in late spring, early summer was really a leverage story, right? It was uh, a leverage and liquidity risk story. Um, and those institutions that did not well manage those risks, you know, uh, were exposed. And I think if if you want to see um, uh, everything related to blockchains, everything related to decentralized finance continue to improve, it can't just be a leverage story. It can't just be about I'm going to borrow from stables so that I can, or or you know, find uh, whatever it is, buy some perps on an exchange, because I think Bitcoin or Ethereum is going to a higher price. There has to, it has to get back to the underlying economic value that these blockchains provide. Um, and and so I, I think from as you said, like it, it's a very healthy thing to have have had that happen. Um, I can say that. You know recognizing that yeah obviously that means there's there's been pain by yeah. investors across the space
0: yeah right myself and, it's and un- it's um, unfortunate, I'm, I'm part of that. obviously yeah 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 um that kind of gets into an interesting thing just about the market more generally as far as crypto goes because there's no like fed bailout mechanism yet right so like there's um there's no backstop for bad ideas. Like if you mess up, you know, you burn your hand and hopefully you don't do that again. And as, as hard as it is for people who get caught in that trap, I think you can make a good argument that it's good to have, you know, a fire clear the forest occasionally because it it shows people consequences of going too far off the rails, getting too levered, doing too crazy stuff. Um, and i again i think you could make a pretty good argument that that mechanism hasn't existed for certain businesses for a while yeah. so
1: yeah there's no doubt that there like you said there there really is no backstop um i i do think that um you know long term health of any industry that doesn't have that backstop uh can be advantaged by that i think um you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about within, and, and this gets a little bit for us, like how do you how do you mitigate that risk? Um. So, when when we think about crypto, one of the things we a lot of times we'll hear about by potential investors is really relates to kind of there's no disclosure um, requirements, you yeah. know, say for like SEC 33, there's there's no enforcement mechanism, and this relates a little bit to a backstop, right? Because it's it's not regulated. You know i think a lot of times the the idea of uh, enforcement and regulation are very much tied to um, being a recognized part of economy and then from that perspective perhaps having a backstop yeah um i think you know, volatility is maybe a third one and i can it's a bit of a side topic but i can touch on that so you know as it relates to kind of the the main point of enforcement i think for us there's other ways in which you can manage this risk one is simply by diversification, right? So spreading out the number of bets you have both across blockchains and across assets that sit on that blockchain is very important. Um, With the point being like, you can do all the due diligence you want, um, but ultimately, you know, you are probably going to miss at least one and have that, you know, it's basically going to be an investment that uh, either stagnates or or goes to zero. That, you know, I I think is likely to happen for most investors. And so... Spreading out your bets is the best way to deal with that. The other way to deal with it is for um, those assets that are sitting on the blockchain. Um, how, you know, there's, there's often a foundation or group that is backing that specific project. Sure. Right? If, if it's more decentralized, then there is maybe no foundation or group, but there's a treasury and a governance form that manages that treasury. And so when you think about, you know, ultimately, this gets back to almost uh, recourse, if you will, for yeah. something that has gone wrong. You know, I, I think the mix of kind of looking at how is this back from a foundation perspective is perhaps one way to look at it. Another way is by looking at the treasury, um, and and saying, okay, if this if this were to happen, what is the exposure, and you know, what is the treasury size relative to that you know to that risk event?
0: Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because then. In- you get in, you know, you get into your DAOs, how centralized do you want it to be? Like there's advantages and disadvantages there, how decentralized you want it to be, Some the band- sure. disadvantages there. Um, which probably ultimately gets back to just education, kind of understanding kind of like what all this is. <laughs> so what yeah. are the
1: trade-offs? I think um, you know, the the other piece of this uh, is is really disclosure. Um, so Again, when you think about uh, there is no, say, disclosure requirement within crypto today. That being said, because uh, for for many of the activities, uh, they happen on chain. And this is especially true with, you know, where we like to invest with is, you know, say, within finance protocols. Um,
0: You can see the numbers.
1: You can see the numbers. You can all, you know, 24-7 income statements and balance sheets are really only a thing because of blockchain. Yeah. Um, and 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 so, you know, to the extent that it's in a pre-coin offering, obviously you're not going to have that data. But this relates, again, a little bit to why we want to see the protocol in action, understand, you know, how is how uh, what does that balance sheet look like? What does that income yeah. statement look like? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the last one, just involved. like I know this is a bit of a, but just kind of getting back to the theme of like, what do we look for or what do we speak to when it relates to investors' concerns? Um, you know, I think volatility—it's clearly a volatile space. Um, I don't think volatility in and of itself should be a reason to not invest. Uh,
0: for us, well, volatility—I mean, look at um, long-dated uh, UK bonds right now—they're thirty yeah, exactly. like seventy-five percent, which is fucking nuts. Like, yeah, talk about volatility—like that's that's insane. Well, yeah,
1: but th- but that's almost. I mean, so that's volatility, but that's also I would say uh, like a tail event, mm-hmm. and and so there there's two, there's yeah. two sides of the tail, both right tail, left tail. I think when when you think about allocating to an asset, it's volatility is is sort of how the asset behaves on average or most of the time from risk perspective. Um, just because it's high, shouldn't deter you because you can just allocate less to it within a portfolio. Yeah, you know this is this is really where the idea of kind of risk parity starts. Um, what, what should be more interesting is, you know, what is, what is the tail risk look like of this specific asset? Both, again, both upside tail and the, you know, right tail, left tail, Mm -hmm. left, left tail, and then, um, you know, thinking about how does that look like relative to other things in the portfolio? And so I think for crypto, you have a growth story that, you know, leads to, again, looking at the developer, um, activity looking at kind of total value locked as an indication of how users are using um, these underlying blockchains. Uh, and to the extent that that network continues to grow, you you do have a strong growth story that is not necessarily tied to other high growth equities you're going to have in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and so that that's sort of the value of holding it.
0: Yeah. Well, let's see. We're right at about an hour. What? Um how do you want to wrap this up? You got any final thoughts, things you want people to know?
1: So I, I would say, you know, getting back a bit more to, to, to Kelp, you know, we are here to service financial advisors. Um, you know, we, we are really bringing a, um, uh, I think a very strong institutional process as it relates to investing uh, across the space, both, on-chain uh, yield farming, as well as just constructing active portfolios um, within separately managed accounts, mm-hmm. and from that perspective, you know, recognize that education. You know, obviously, that's why I'm here today. Education is a lot, uh, is is a very large component about what we're doing, um, and you know, please reach out. You know, we're, we're happy oh, to wow. have conversations like this. Um, you know that ultimately, you know, we hope we're the benefit of uh that education in terms of how investors are accessing the space. Um, but more than anything, really want to outline some of the the misconceptions as it relates to you know what is going on in the space, what is the the value accrual, uh, you know, how do I think about this within a broader portfolio?
0: For sure. For sure. Well um, this was great. Like I'll be putting you guys out on all my social and stuff. So hopefully you will get some, some traction. Um, but yeah, Paul, uh, much appreciated, man. Um, welcome back anytime. So we'll leave it there, everyone. And till the next one.
1: Great. Thanks, Ben. Yeah.